Today I want to ask a simple question, and that is simply this. Have you ever received a call that changed everything? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I imagine most of you know what I'm talking about. It's maybe that call that you hear something that you were not anticipating. You hadn't woken up that morning thinking that that would be your lot for that day, and it drastically changed your day, the course of your life, or where you would go, what you would do, uh, the future. Maybe it was a, a tragic car accident that you just found out about. Some of you have gotten those phone calls. I remember my, well, I don't remember, I wasn't there, but I remember being told of the phone call my grandmother got when the plane left PUC, and in the fog of that day, the, the pilot that wasn't trained in his instruments, and the, the plane was gradually turning and came back, and they crashed, and, and my grandpa was killed. Those types of calls that change everything, just like that. It's almost that surreal moment. Is this even happening? It could be a moment that a doctor tells you that you have been diagnosed with something, and they start to tell you what you can expect, what to anticipate, maybe even how much time that you have. Perhaps it's, it's a phone call that deals with one of your children. I can still remember where I was when I got a phone call from my wife, Elizabeth. This has been a few years ago now, and she says, we got the results back, the test results back, and she was out in, in town, and she said, they said it's come back definitive for Alexander disease, talking about our youngest, James. They said, uh, it's a scary thing, don't go online and look. Well, what do you do? You got to go online and look and see what this thing is. Those moments that change things, and you can't plan for them, you can't anticipate them, but they happen. And I don't know about you, but, but the day is different after that phone call. The question, did you find your to-do list, was no longer that important after that car accident, after that wreck, and, and you woke up with all these things on your to-do list, and you had to get them all done, and, and you were even stressed about them. And now that just gets cast to the side, doesn't it? That the things that stressed you just minutes before no longer consume your thoughts. Was the triteness of life instantly replaced by some heavy reality? Were you given an instant clarity on what was most important? You know, all of a sudden, all those things that you thought were important, you realize in a split second, really, that they're not that important. And you end up praying prayers like this, Lord, help me to distinguish between the urgent and the eternally significant. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Help me to distinguish between the urgent, all those things that are required of me, and all those phone calls to return, all those emails to respond to, all the things to get done around the house and with work and projects and, and all the rest. They're urgent. They need attention. But maybe they're not eternally important or significant in the grand scheme of things. Lord, help me to distinguish between the two. Now, last week, we looked at John chapter 4, the woman at the well, and we went through that story. And you may recall, I think it's in the third verse, that Jesus tells his disciples, we must go through Samaria. You remember that? It was the long way around. It was more mountainous. It would take longer. Besides, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, and so it would just be the easiest way we could go to the right, to the left, either of which are better, but instead we're going to go right through the mountains? 
But Jesus has this conversation, if you recall, with this woman at the well, and it changes her life forever. And she goes back and she tells about this man who who knows everything about her and how it's changed her life. And then they come back and they say, surely this is God. And multitudes, many, it says, followed after. And Jesus stays there for two days in Samaria. Why? And the disciples, as they come, Jesus, why are you here? And, and, or why are you talking with this woman? And so on. Are you still hungry? And he says, I have food that you don't know about, doesn't he? He says, to do the will of the Father. That is my food. That's what feeds me. That's what I crave. That's what gives me energy. That's the food that I'm all about, is to glorify God. And so we spent some time, I mean, even in John 17, 4, we looked at that this last time, this idea, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Certainly, Jesus had other things he wanted to do. Not everybody was healed. Not everybody had been spoken to and, and, and been able to be pulled out of their sin. And, and the list goes on and on and on. But he prays this prayer in John 17, 4, I have finished. I have completed the work that you have given me to do. And so we asked the question last week, to glorify God. That is the essence, right, of what it's about. Fulfilling the task that you were born for. To accomplish the mission that God has in mind for your life. It doesn't say I finished all the things I wanted to do, but that you wanted me to do. Not finishing the work there I just said that you want to do, but to finish and complete the assignment that God has given you. That's what we looked at last week. Jesus' life purpose purpose was to daily seek the Father's will and do it each and every day, rising up early, long before daybreak, to be alone, to commune with his Father. Lord, I need to know what your will is for me today. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any other way, any other way, but not my will, but yours be done, was his prayer. And so the question we asked last week is, what is God's will in my practice or in my business, in my relationships with my staff and my coworkers, how I use my time, how I spend my money, how I relate to my spouse and my children, my entertainment practices. Lord, what is your will in each of these? I need to know. Lord, what is your will in my health practices? Because that's all that matters. Otherwise, our lives will be filled with stuff and with things and with to-do lists But how tragic it would be to accomplish a bunch of things that are not God's purpose for your life and what you were made and created to do. And so this has ended up turning into a series, a three-part series. This is number two. But the first part of this series on eternal principles, number one, God, what is your will? That's the simple question. What is your will? And trying to order our lives around it. So that was last week. And today, Lord, help me to distinguish between the urgent and the eternally significant. Again, an eternal principle that we need to look at. And so for that one, we're going to stay in the book of John, but we're going to turn to chapter 11. So if you brought your Bibles, turn with me to John in the 11th chapter, a well-known story here about Lazarus. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I hope you have something you can look at there. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you didn't bring anything. But reading from John chapter 11, beginning verse 1, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. By the way, this is the longest narrative in John, besides the crucifixion. Just an interesting note there. And so Lazarus is sick. He's in Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord, verse 2, with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love. There's a special relationship there. Jesus liked to go be with these individuals. This was a safe place for him. And so the word comes, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Notice even Jesus' loved ones got sick. And so verse 4, and when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but what? For the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's a key verse. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now he was a couple days journey to this place where Lazarus was, but here instead of hopping on some form of transportation or walking or doing whatever he could to get there, he stays. Do you ever have those moments when you pour your heart out to God and you're anticipating that God is going to do something? God is going to change things. God is going to, to work and act. He's going to heal. He's going to do whatever it is. And you're just certain that this is the case. And then it doesn't happen. Time passes. Nothing change, changes. And God just seems to be silent. Could it be that as we pray, as we give it over to him, he tries to whisper in our ears, this sickness is not unto death, for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Could he ever be responding to us in that way, in his silence? And you know this story as well as I know this story. You say, how can that be true? Lazarus does die. But is it truly unto death? Because again, you know the end of the story. Anyway, we'll move on. Later in verse 11, he clarifies, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Verse 12, and his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And so in verse 14, he says very plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was seen in the house. And verse 21, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, have you prayed that prayer? Lord, I know you're all powerful. Lord, I know you could have intervened. Lord, I know this is not too difficult for you. Lord, I know this would have given glory to you if you would have done this simple thing. You can almost hear the, the frustration, the longing. She's in a vulnerable place. She's sad. She's confused. And she says, Lord, if you simply would have been here for the one that you loved, my brother would not have died. But she follows it up with verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. There's hope for your brother. And we see Martha's theology. She says, I know that he will raise again in the resurrection at the last day. She doesn't say he's in heaven or anything else. I know I'll see him again at the last day, at the resurrection, when the trump shall sound. I know all of these things. 
And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is trying to communicate, I have something bigger here than you know anything about. And I want to use this example, this illustration of Lazarus who falls asleep in Christ as some of the first fruits of who will be raised back to life by the power of my name. And she said to him, yes, Lord, verse 27, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And then Mary, she takes her turn, verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I think there was something that needed to die in Mary and Martha. So it could resurrect a deeper faith in them and those watching. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in all of scripture. Verse 37, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? These are the Jews. These are the ones that are coming along to be helpful. Couldn't your God have done something? I thought you were a religious person. You go to church faithfully. You give way too much of your resources to the church. You give of your time and, and on and on. I thought God would have patted you on the back here. Couldn't he have done something? Verse 38, And Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone from the place and the dead man was lying, where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. He cried with authority as the Son of God. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Friends, this is a powerful story. But this helps remind me of this very simple idea because we oftentimes say, Lord, if you had simply been here. The whole idea, the whole implication is, Lord, you don't get it. You don't understand. My thinking is ahead of your thinking, but it's not that way at all. It's the other way around. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And I have ways of glorifying the Father that you know nothing about. And the glory will far surpass 
than if I would have done it your way. Lord, if you would have been here, it was urgent to heal the sick man, but it was eternally significant to raise him from the dead. Do you see a difference? The healing of Lazarus would have been a good thing, but raising him from the dead was a great thing. It was urgent. Let me go back. It was urgent to cure sickness, but it was more urgent to reveal the loving character and the resurrection power of God that could call him from the grave into new life. God says, you specialize in good things. I specialize in great things. Healing Lazarus would have impressed people. But raising him from the dead so demonstrated the power of God, causing many Jews to believe and glorify God. I have ways, I have plans you know nothing about. That's why it's so important to grab that first eternal principle. God, what is your plan for my life? What is your will for this situation? for this sickness, for this illness, for this tragedy. Lord, how can you use this for your glory? Jesus, I believe, was able to distinguish between the urgent and the eternally significant because he was so connected with his Father. And so he stays for two more days. And he weeps as he sees everybody go through all of this, yet they don't have an understanding. But he says, I'm going to do something far bigger and far better then you can understand now. There are many things in life that are good to do, but there are some things in life that are great to do. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in tune with my Heavenly Father so I can really honestly not do the good things and focus on the great things. Isn't that what we are called to do? And I believe God longs to show us and to use us in those ways, but we're too busy doing good things. This comes from Testimonies, volume 6, page 24. It's the very essence of all right faith to do the right thing at the right time. That's the essence of all right faith. The right thing at the right time. Say the right thing at the right time. Do the right thing at the right time. Be at the right place at the right time. But it begs the question, right? How do I know? Let's keep reading. God is a great master worker. Notice it doesn't have your name there. It says God is the great master worker. And by his providence, he prepares the way for his work to be accomplished. Aren't you thankful for that? We think that we as a denomination, this is our work. This is our privilege. It is. But he is the master worker. And he's the one that puts us and sends us on assignment. And by his providence, he prepares the way for his work to be accomplished. He provides opportunities, opens up lines of influence and channels of working. If people are watching the indications of his providence and stand ready to cooperate with him, they will see a great work accomplished. So wait, wait, what do I do? Fall to your knees every day. Say, Lord, I want to work with you today. I want you to set my agenda today. I want you to show me today the difference between the urgent and the things that are eternally significant. Finishing the quote, their efforts rightly directed will produce a hundredfold greater results 
than can be accomplished with the same means and faculties in another channel where God is not so manifestly working. My whole purpose is to see where God is working and follow the Spirit. I'll have a hundredfold greater results. Or no, 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 I have all these things, and they're all good things. I'm just going to go, 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 and we end up back to that plate spinner again that we talked about last week. And we keep all these things rotating up in the air. And God says, that's, that's too bad. Because I could help you spin a hundred plates. And you probably wouldn't get so stressed out in the process. I'm going to try and do this quickly. But I want to talk about this in light of current events. And I realize, and, and I can get so excited and drawn in by some of these things. So we're just going to try and do it like a pebble skipping across a pond. Because let's face it, you have news too. And you've seen these things. These aren't new things. But my point in all of this is, where are we in earth's history? And is it important to ask God, what is your will for my life today, right now in 2017? Help me to discern, right? Between the good things, the the pressing things, and the eternally significant things. This was just this week. Magnitude 7.3 earthquake of... Iran, Iraq is the deadliest of 2017. The earthquakes in Mexico, there were two of them, back in September, killing a host of people. Um, some are saying that it's, it's the deadliest or the, the strongest earthquake in almost 100 years. Uh, this wasn't that long ago. Do you remember this? I mean, this was phenomenal. And you follow some of those paths. I tell you, Irma, in my opinion, again, it's just my opinion, What do I know? But if Irma would have taken the trajectory that they had said it was going to right up the middle of Florida, you virtually wouldn't have much left of Florida. Was there a lot of things that bad things that happened and people just absolutely there were. I'm not trying to to minimize their tragedy. I'm just saying, I think in God's providence, he allowed that thing to be pushed just a little bit to the left. Not to mention uh, Puerto Rico, about one million. This is almost a month ago. Americans without running water, three million without power. This is one month after Hurricane Maria. I mean, this is like not just current events. This is like yesterday events. Harvey, the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history, estimated a cost of $190 billion. I don't know if that's close or not, but, but again, just like yesterday, we had California wildfires raging all over the place. Most expensive disaster of its kind, they're saying, because of the Napa Valley and some of the places that it just turned to nothing, right? And not just in California, 4.5 million acres, total acres burned in 2017. That's like this year. Redwood Avenue Academy, there's pictures of it burned. I pray that will be a blessing. I don't know where Redwood Adventist Academy is in terms of how they're doing as a school or anything else. I know that uh, we've had other schools that have been hit by tragedies, and the Lord has blessed, and they've been able to rebuild and have a nicer facility that met their needs better. I pray that's the case instead of what they have now. This Vegas shooting, unbelievable. I mean, just the rapid fire shots, one after the next, after the next, da 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 Welcome home. Not to mention, uh, what are we calling this guy? Rocket Man or something? I don't know. What's going to happen with him? I don't know, but we have this big armada that's making its way across the ocean. We have this war of words and power and all the rest. 
I mean, do what, my whole point in all this is what are we waiting for to have happen for us to get serious? That's what I'm asking. What are we waiting for to have happen? Well, I'm going to wait until the Sunday law passes. Well, I mean, you can look at Donald Trump. This is something he planned in the interim before he actually took office. His first time overseas trip, right? He was trying to unite the three largest world religions through this trip. And so the first place he goes is, is Saudi Arabia, right? To appeal to Islam. Then he goes from there to Israel to appeal to Judaism. He goes to the Western Wall, the first sitting president to do that, seen as the last remnant of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, which was destroyed. And so this is a, a huge sacred place. And so there he is, and he touches the wall, and so on and so forth. So that's stop number two. Stop number three is, of course, the Vatican, where he's going to meet with the Pope. And the Pope gives him then his latest encyclical, which in the whole thing is about climate change and Sunday as the Sabbath to help support climate change and all of these things. And so he gives this to President Trump, signed copy, and what does Trump say? He says, I'll read it. I'm going to read it. What are we waiting for to have happen? And then just a few weeks ago, you had Lutherans and Catholics and Methodists and Reformed and Anglicans. They draw together in a deeper communion. They're trying to put all differences aside, basically saying the Reformation is over. We can do better. What does this article say? Our witness is impeded by our divisions. Let's just all come together in unity. We can do more together. Down here at the bottom. What do we do with the gift today? We will be willing ourselves to be reformed again and always, setting aside our differences because we are caught up in the grace that is found through faith. We will find from God alone the strength and grace to be united blessing to this world so that our witness of unity in diversity overcomes our fears of each other. Let's just all come together. What are we waiting for? But somehow, in the midst, I mean, this is all around us. This is happening. But we just, we're just so busy. We're just so tied up with everything. And it's all good stuff. But it's not eternally significant stuff. Prophets and Kings 6.26 says, Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Remember the parable of the ten virgins? I mean, the church is, is, is or the woman is depicted as the church in Scripture, Right? And, and the virgins, they, they have pure doctrine. They don't have all, they're not defiled by impure doctrine. But even though, aside about the five foolish and the, and the five wise, we're talking about all ten are what? Sleeping. There's not one virgin that's awake when the bridegroom cometh, which tells me it's going to be an overwhelming surprise. Nobody's going to say, I called it. I knew it was going to happen. I saw all these things. I had all my, my charts in the basement, and I watched the news all the time, and I was pointing with scripture and prophecies. I knew all of it, and I nailed it. No, you didn't. You were asleep. And you're going to say, whoa, I didn't see it coming like this. I didn't see it coming this fast. I didn't see it changing overnight like it did. Now again, I could be pegged as an alarmist. And I'm not trying to cry wolf, wolf. I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to happen tomorrow. But I'm saying, what if it does? What are we waiting for? So I'm not trying to hype something up so out of fear we get right. I'm just saying we need to live right all the time. We need to be in connection with our Heavenly Father every day. Because the reality exists today and it did yesterday and 10 years ago that I could be hit with a Mack truck and that's it for me. And what a shame if I'm not asking God, what is your will for my life? What is eternally significant for my life? 
And maybe we're just avoiding those things because those are tough questions, so I'm just going to do what's good. I'm going to fill up my life with what's good. But someday, you're going to get that call. And that call is going to come, and it's going to change and shatter everything. Lord, help me to distinguish between the urgent and the eternally significant. The call that changed everything, here's what it's going to be. It's going to change everything. And what does the verse say that we know so well? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. That's the call that's going to change everything. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Friends, on that day, what on your to-do list will matter? I'm not saying nothing will. There may be a lot of things on your to-do list that will matter. I'm just asking the question, what's going to matter? Now, again, you still have to do certain things that, you know, cutting the grass is not eternally significant. Cleaning the house, ironing your dress clothes, whatever it is, I get that. But in the whole course of, of what you're doing and what you're valuing and what is most important in life, you need to be asking that question often, daily, hourly. God, what's your will for my life? And is this something that's urgent or is this something that's eternally important? Because I don't know. But you promised to reveal it to me. And you've promised to to cause me to be a hundred times more successful in making eternal deposits and, and reforming my own character and imparting good and truth to other people around me in my sphere of influence that I cannot do. And so I just surrender to you again today. How can you lead me today? Because on this day, so much of what you and I fill our lives with is not going to matter. But let's focus on the things on that day that will. Let's be about the things that will. And let's just pray these eternal principles. God, what's your will for my life? And God, help me to distinguish between the urgent and the eternally important. That's my plea. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us. We need help. There are so many good things that we can occupy ourselves with. But Lord, we want to do great things, not for ourselves, but for you and for your cause and for your kingdom. And so Lord, whatever way your Holy Spirit is impressed upon our hearts, whether it be more time with our kids or our grandkids or our spouse, less time making a living and more time involved in the church, whatever it is that you have pricked our conscience with, Lord, help us to give those things over to you and say, Lord, I want you to reprioritize my life because I want everything on my list to have eternal significance when you come. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.